Welcome to Shoot This Now. My name is Tim Malloy. Who are you? I'm Deirdre McCarrick. Deirdre McCarrick, what do we do every week on Shoot This Now? Every week on Shoot This Now, we talk about stories that should be made into TV shows or movies. And this week, we have got a timely, timely doozy. I'm ready for it. It is a story about the greatest, craziest Oscar ceremony ever. The Oscar ceremony where Sasheen Littlefeather, a Native American woman, accepted, or rather refused to accept, Marlon Brando's Best Actor Oscar for The Godfather, and things got a little crazy. Wow. I originally, when you said craziest Oscars, I thought you were going to talk about when um, Faye Dunaway and... Um, the La La Land Oscars. The La La Land Oscars. The Moonlight Oscars. Yeah. yeah. No, I think these Oscars were... When they were, got it wrong. Yeah. I, I think these Oscars were pound for pound crazier because yes. that, the Sashin Littlefeather thing wasn't the only kind of weird thing that happened at these Oscars. These Oscars were kind of nuts from beginning to end. Um, but we're going to focus particularly on Sashin Littlefeather, uh, what her moment meant for representation and diversity in Hollywood, what it meant for America as a whole and for the Native American movement for greater recognition and greater respect and better treatment. Cool. Can you give me the wrap it up sign? Mm-hmm. Um, yep, we'll get to it. Would you like to introduce our first segment? I'd love to introduce our first segment. So who are we talking about and why does it matter? Yeah. Okay, so obviously we're talking about Sashin Littlefeather, as we mentioned. And why does it matter? Well, recently a lot of people got mad at John Wayne when a Tennessee screenwriter named Matt Williams tweeted a 1971 Playboy interview in which Wayne said things that were racist, homophobic, and sexist. It's worth checking out, not because John Wayne is relevant in any way, he died in 1979, but as a time capsule of a time when people freely said things like this to national magazines. If you've seen, say, The Searchers, you know that whatever his personal beliefs, John Wayne was involved in a lot of yesteryear images of, uh, how would you describe it? Stereotypical portrayals? Yeah, of Native Americans as savages and ignorant. ignorant. Yeah, the really damaging negative images that were used to justify abuse and genocide for centuries. Mm -hmm. I've also been obsessed with this topic ever since we did an episode about the Native American takeover of Alcatraz in 1969. You can check that one out from last year. You know what happened with Alcatraz, right? I do. I listened to that fantastic podcast. So it's basically, wow, thanks. Yes. Wow. Basically, for 18 months, Native American activists took over Alcatraz and said, we're claiming this as Indian land. You have broken countless treaties. We're going to take this kind of as repayment. But it was really a symbolic takeover to say, respect us, pay attention to what we're asking for um, and make good on some of your past promises. Yeah. And I mean, I think even like taking a step back and just trying to picture that happening. This is an island that has this formidable prison on it. And a bunch of Native Americans were just like, we're just going to get over there and claim it as our own. Yeah. And they did. I mean, it's just a pretty wild undertaking. And it's so ambitious, which I love. It's super ambitious. It's super symbolic. And it's kind of a perfect protest in the sense of there were so many parallels between Alcatraz and Native American reservations. They would say, this is basically an empty rock that hasn't been cared for. That's the same way you've been treating reservation land. There were two people on that island over those 18 months. One of them was Sashin Littlefeather. Another is Marlon Brando, although it doesn't sound like they ever met during the time that they were there. And they were two among many, just to clarify. Yeah, Jane Fonda was also there. Um, Many, many, many Native American activists were there. And for different periods of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it was kind of a cause celeb. It was a thing. This protest was really important because it was one of the first massive protests of the modern era to raise awareness of Native American rights. And all of the things that happen in this episode spring directly from that episode. So this is kind of our first sequel, I guess. 
And as far as we know, that's not where um, Sashin met Marlon Brando. No, let's get into all of that. Okay. Um, this is a story of Sashin, a young woman finding her own voice uh, and finding a very public platform for her people at a time when they really didn't have one and they really needed some amplification. There's one man who was trying to silence her. That man is John Wayne. He is literally hoping to silence her. And the man who's giving her the platform is Marlon Brando. But we're going to talk about his motives and how pure they were and whether he went about things the right way. Can't wait. What's our next segment? So our next segment is we're going to dive into the meat of the story. And as you talk about it, you're going to highlight three to five pivotal moments. All right. So I just want to set the scene. We'll play some clips from the actual Oscar night of 1973 from the Dorothy Chowner Pavilion in Los Angeles. It's nothing like the Oscars of today. It's so kind of um, schmaltzy, to be honest, and kind of unslick. As people are, as the A-listers are arriving on the red carpet, they just announce their names. It's like, Burt Reynolds is here, Francis Ford Coppola, Diana Ross, Billy D. Williams. Was there an actual announcer standing outside? It's just like an announcer doing a voiceover during the credits. Okay. There's a seven-minute opening number led by Angela Lansbury. It's tap dancing, razzle-dazzle. This is the year of cabaret. If we were to do this as a movie, I would like to see that kind of razzle-dazzle opening and then an immediate cut to something else that's going on (laughs) at this time. Native American activists have taken over Wounded Knee, South Dakota, which is a very bleak, stark, dilapidated piece of land. They have again taken over to make a point, pay attention to us, respect us. And I can imagine them watching these Oscars and this Oscar opening just like these people are aliens. So we basically have two backdrops. We have the 1973 Oscars. We've got Burt Reynolds. We've got Billy Dee Williams. We've got Gold LeMay, my favorite. Yeah. Um, we've got Angela Lansbury tap dancing. Tap dancing. Hello. Yeah. And then we also have Wounded Knee South Dakota yeah. with none of that glitz and glamour. None of that. They've taken over and they're in kind of a standoff with federal marshals where they don't know if shots are going to break out at any time. Military vehicles are cruising past. And this is a point during that takeover. It's about a month into the takeover where the federal government has sent the press home. They've told the media, get out of here. And what were they demanding? Um, They're demanding basically honor treaties. Land treaties. Treaties that they, but also it's a symbolic takeover again. Um, They make some specific demands, but overall all of these protests are really about respect us, stop breaking these treaties, give us what we're due. You owe us a lot of money. You should give us back our land. The long list of grievances from Native Americans against the U.S. government, endless. So... They don't know when or if violence is going to break out, and they feel very, very neglected by all of society that they're not being watched. And they really aren't being watched because of the blackout, the media blackout that the government has instituted by sending reporters away. So if we go back to the ceremony, one of the most memorable moments for me, and people still talk about this, Charlton Heston was supposed to give some of the opening remarks, and he had a flat tire, so they had Clint Eastwood go up instead. He didn't have AAA? I don't know what Charlton Heston didn't have. I mean, doesn't he have multiple cars? Like, it seems like the worst excuse. Doesn't he have, like, a chariot? He should have a chariot. He should ride a horse. He should be able to just run there. He's Charlton Heston. I definitely would have thought he would have been on horseback, likely bareback, Absolutely. versus taking a car. 
Absolutely. That's like so pedestrian for Charlton Heston. He becomes the president of the NRA later. He could have shot himself out of a cannon to get to the yeah. Chandler Pavilion. Lame Charlton Heston. He he blows it, but it gives Clint Eastwood a moment to crack some really good one-liners. Because he was indeed riding a horse. He His horse arrived on time. Yep. Here's a clip of Clint Eastwood. Uh, he's supposed to be Charlton Heston's um, part of the show, but somehow he hasn't shown up. So who do they pick? They pick the guy who hasn't uh, said but three lines in 12 movies to uh, substitute for him. I don't <laughs> so there's a lot of other drama going on at this, uh, at this Oscars. Um, this is the Godfather Oscars. The, maybe the greatest movie ever has just come out. And, and you know, I, I know someone who wasn't there other than Marlon Brando, yeah. which is a heartbreaker for me because I'm a big fan of Categories. Al Pacino. We've talked about doing a whole nother podcast just about Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, and maybe we will. And also, let us know, who do you prefer, Robert De Niro or Al Pacino? And you can't say both, and you can't, like, you know, you hem and haw. Don't hem and haw. Just yeah. pick one. God damn it. One. De Niro. So anyway... Um, this is right after The Godfather comes out, and there's a lot of category shenanigans. In the Best Actor category, obviously, Marlon Brando is heavily favored to win, but he has no intentions of showing up, which is going to be key to all of this. Meanwhile, the Supporting Actor category mm. is split between Duvall and Pacino and um, Jimmy James Kahn. Kahn. Yeah. yeah. So they're all split in The Godfather vote, which is absurd, because honestly, Pacino should be up for Best Actor. Pacino's like, I'm not showing up, man. I'm not doing that. So, Hell no. So he's not there. So a lot of drama going on. Um, we'll communicate all this. Although, having... can I just say something? Yeah. If he had won the Oscar, he literally could have said, say hello to my little friend. <laughs> so he kind of had a missed opportunity there. And then he wouldn't have needed all Scarface to justify that line. I know. I know. You're right. So that's really what Scarface is about. I think we just cracked it. It's an Oscar revenge story. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, I don't know how we'll communicate all of this in exposition, but I think we'll just have some like people backstage talking about it. I picture like Stadler and Waldorf from the Muppets just mm-hmm. like, explaining all of this drama. Also, somewhere around here is a 26-year-old woman with parted hair, an overcoat covering her buckskin dress. She's quiet, reserved, proud, and naturally pretty. Very not glitzy Hollywood. Very not 1973 Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. This is our heroine, Sashin Littlefeather. Wow. Um, you'd like to know how she got here. Is this the point where we should just explain this? Yes, please. Okay, we're going to have to do this through some exposition and flashbacks and things like that over the course of this movie, but I'll just tell you so you know. Yeah. Um, her and Marlon Brando, though they cross paths at Alcatraz, they don't actually meet. What happens is she becomes aware of his interest in Native American issues, and she writes him a letter saying, hey, dude, are you for real? Like, is mm. this authentic? Marlon Brando, in classic weirdo Marlon Brando fashion, waits a year and then contacts her when she's on a radio show that she's hosting as she's trying to be a radio host and an actress and says, yeah, actually, I am interested in this. Later, they talk when she's in Washington, D.C., advocating for better roles for Native Americans because in addition to being an actress, she's also a very prominent activist um, trying to get better portrayals. This is kind of her life's work. So the day before the Oscars, Marlon Brando goes, you know what? I should call Sasheen Littlefeather. And he calls her. And says, can you be here and can you show up and can you accept my award? Or rather, I keep saying accept my award, refuse to accept my Mm. award uh, and make a speech about Native Americans. And she says, yeah, pretty gutsy. Uh, A few questions there, a few follow-up questions. Okay. Um, One, what 
prompted Marlon Brando's interest or passion in uh, Native American rights? Because it, it was a little out of context. The first thing that I find amazing about Marlon Brando that I didn't realize when I started researching this, I always thought of him as like a kid from Brooklyn, mm. like an Italian kid from Brooklyn. Marlon Brando is an Irish kid from Nebraska. Interesting. So like he kind of is from middle America, um, which just surprised me a lot. Uh, he comes from an alcoholic home, and I think he has a real love of underdogs. I think after his success, well, he always has an issue with authority. I mean, he gets kicked out of one of his schools reportedly for riding motorcycles down the hall. He is a real rebel, and I think he is a guy who sides with the underdog. And in American culture, there is almost no bigger underdog than Native Americans. When he gets to Hollywood and has all the success very early my suspicion is he feels a little bit of this is ridiculous. Why am I being so rewarded for what I do, which I don't have that much, which I don't hold in that high of a regard. What am I going to do with my life? So he really throws himself into Native American issues. Now, with all sort of, you know, successful people who do this, I guess there's a mix of do they passionately believe this or do they like the good feeling that they get from trying to help someone? And I'm sure it's a mix like it is for everyone else. Um, but by 1964, he's taking part in something called a fish-in, which is like a sit-in, but with fish, where Native Americans are doing a fish-in to, again, say, respect me, pay attention to my issues. Make uh, okay. I, what is a fish-in again? I'm confused. A fish-in is basically they're fishing where they're not supposed to fish because of some weird treaty. And they're saying, in defiance of that, um, in defiance of the unfair rules, we're going to fish here. Got it. Okay. So it's like sitting at a lunch counter. Yeah. fish. It's like a okay. Native American twist on a sit-in. It's pretty cool. And Marlon Brando was involved in that. He's in. involved in that. He gets arrested. Um, over times in his life, he will be shot at. He will be threatened. He really does put himself on the line for Native Americans. Okay. And, yeah, I wonder where he grew up in, in Nebraska, if that really was, like, if there were larger Native American communities around him, if he was in proximity to them. It's Omaha, so I have to assume that when he's growing up, he's at least seeing references to Native American culture, yeah. even if it's like a cartoonized version mm -hmm. by white people. He's also growing up, like a lot of people in this time, watching Westerns and things like that and watching John Wayne. Yeah, it was just interesting because it's like he was going to win for The Godfather, and then he basically, in many people's eyes, sort of had, a, it could have been like a non sequitur speech, mm -hmm. um, but I guess hopefully people were aware of what was going on in Wounded Knee, or maybe they weren't. Well... In 1969, during Alcatraz, there was a New York Times editorial published, uh, an op-ed by a contributor who said basically most Americans only know about Native Americans when they see them getting killed by John Wayne uh, in late night movies. But there's so much more to this culture and you should pay attention to what's happening in Alcatraz because it's going to shine a light on it. And so this is four years after that. When Sashin went to the Oscars, had she ever physically met Marlon Brando, or was their exchange exchanged solely through letters? Oh, okay. So they've spoken when he calls into the show. They've exchanged. He sent her the letter, and they have met in person in Washington D.C. when she was testifying about better roles for Native Americans. Got it. Okay. So have they met in addition to that? I would imagine so, but I don't think they have communicated a lot. They've been on the same island together, briefly. Cool. Yeah. So we're going to have to somehow explain all of this very succinctly, which I think we can totally do. Mm -hmm. While all of this ridiculous stuff is going on on stage, for example, we have the prospect of Charlton Heston introducing Michael Jackson to sing Ben from the movie Ben about the rats. 
like there are just so many great 70s kitsch moments going on. I don't know exactly where Sashin is during the Oscars because she doesn't actually come into the crowd until right before she goes up on stage near the end of the show. I assume she's kind of hanging around backstage or something like that, trying not to stand out because she doesn't want anybody to catch her and say, what are you doing here? Why are you dressed like that? Are you for the Disney spectacular? Because there is a Disney dance number during the Oscars. We also have to get into several key moments from her childhood. I mean, we know a little bit about Brando's background. She's from California, but she goes with her mom on a trip through Mississippi. She says that she remembers a sign that said, no, no dogs or Indians. She says at one point she was also at a water fountain and a man stopped her and said, what are you? And she didn't really have an answer. And he pointed to the colored water fountain. I imagine this was probably one of the things that sparked a conversation with her mom, who was white, about her background, and her mom told her that her father was White Mountain Apache and Yaki, both from Arizona. I've also got to imagine that at some point she sees some John Wayne movies. If you want to understand John Wayne's relationship with Native Americans on film, just watch the end of The Searchers, where he's chasing down, like chasing down Natalie Wood, who is a woman who has been raised by Native Americans after being abducted as a kid. And we think he's going to kill her like she's been spoiled by all of his time with them. Um, he picks her up and in a last minute switch, he decides he's going to take her home instead. And we're supposed to think like, wow, what a great guy. You remember that? I do. Yeah. Searchers is weird. Everybody's a very strange color of tan. It's, it's, um, it's a strange movie. It's hard to tell whether people are tan because they're Western or because they've like painted them tan to make them supposedly look more Native American. It's weird. It's not as weird as Blue Duck in Lonesome Dove, though, the miniseries. That's a great, great book, and I didn't get through the miniseries. Ugh. Blue Duck. Good or bad? Not good. Really? Yeah. Ugh. And you know I love... Uh, I mean, one of my favorite books ever. Yeah. Man. Miscast. So, we're probably at the point in the Oscars where James Coburn and Diana Ross present the winner for Best Supporting Actor... Uh, all the Godfather guys lose to Joel Gray for Cabaret. Backstage, I've got to imagine people are starting to wonder what Sashina is doing there. She's probably going to spot Clint Eastwood. Let's somehow allude to the fact that he's eventually going to make a movie about Alcatraz. And we need a little bit more backstory about Sashin. Her learning about her background in meetings at the San Francisco Indian Center, later going to Alcatraz, which is where she gets the name Sashin Littlefeather. Um, she's given that name by some Navajo. It means little bear. The name that she was given when she first came to this earth was Marie Louise Cruz. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. We haven't really gotten into the thing that I really want to address, which is what is Marlon Brando's motivation in giving her this platform? Like, I think he means well. I think he definitely thinks like, I'm going to give up my spotlight and give it to a great representative of Native Americans to express their views. I also think he throws the sheen little feather into something that she is not an he has not in any way prepared her for i mean i think i read something that michael kane even said i can't believe marlon brando threw that young woman under the bus yeah through that little indian girl yeah yeah Um, i mean that being said she could not have held her own better yeah i think if you watch the video on youtube Mm -hmm. um her she is incredibly poised Mm -hmm. and i think it's actually quite remarkable how poised she is Mm mm-hmm I totally agree. I think she carries herself spectacularly well and isn't confrontational. She's just proud. She's as polite as can be, and the way that people respond to her is really a shame on them because they respond to her really badly. 
And I think a lot of the sort of drama of this movie is waiting to see how she's going to handle herself when she's on stage. And also, you asked me, is there like a twist to this story? I mm-hmm. think there is a twist to the story. Because we know something about Marlon Brando that Sashin doesn't know and that a lot of people didn't know then, which is the thing that he's gotten a lot of attention for lately, which is the situation with Last Tango in Paris. You're familiar with the Last Tango in Paris situation? Yes, I am. How would you explain it? Um, I mean, well, the, the, the challenge I have is that I don't believe those um, claims, charges, whatever you will, came up until much, much later, right? Like, when, it was like about a few years ago, I thought. Yeah, a few years ago, Maria Schneider, who's his co-star on the film, who's much, much younger than him, says that she felt a little bit raped by what happened on the set. And a lot of people interpreted that to mean that she was actually raped by Marlon Brando with the camera running. What actually reportedly happened is that Marlon Brando and Bernardo Bertolucci, the director, decided to surprise her um, when there was going to be a rape scene in the movie. They decided to add the element of butter being used as a lubricant, and they didn't tell her about that in advance because they wanted to get like a shocked reaction from her. She felt traumatized by that after the fact, um, even though she said that no actual sex took place. So one thing we know about Marlon Brando that I think is relevant to what happened with Sashin Littlefeather is that he is willing to put a young woman in an uncomfortable or awkward position to maximize dramatic effect for what he perceives as the greater good. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one take, one hot take on Marlon Brando. <laughs> I, For me, this story is much, much more about Sashin Littlefeather. Oh, yeah. Um, like I said... And I think he's a he's a, a a bit player really in her transformation and her ability to um, do something that really no one else had done before. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost performance art what she does. Mm-hmm. So we'll just play her speech, and it begins with Roger Moore handing out the Oscar, handing over the Oscar to her, and her holding up her hand firmly and rejecting that Oscar. Hello. My name is Sashin Littlefeather. I'm Apache, and I'm president of the National Native American Affirmative Image Committee. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening, and he has asked me to tell you in a very long speech, which I cannot share with you presently because of time, but I will be glad to share with the press afterwards, that he very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry. Excuse me. And on television, in movie reruns, and also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I beg at this time that I have not intruded upon this evening, and that we will, in the future, our hearts and our understandings will meet with love and generosity. Thank you on behalf of Marlon Brando. A lot of people have seen that clip. There's a couple things that people did not see that I think are really relevant. First is the reaction to people at Wounded Knee. Um, Russell Means, who is one of the activists at Wounded Knee, who later becomes an actor himself and is in films like Last of the Mohicans and is involved in Pocahontas, says that they were really worried about whether they were going to survive what was going on at Wounded Knee and that when Sashin Littlefeather gave that speech, it was like a shot in the arm. It was like they were being elevated and held up by her and Marlon Brando. And that kind of kept them going. The other thing is, 
remember, there's a media blackout on all coverage of Wounded Knee. Yeah. When she mentions this on stage, it suddenly returns the media spotlight to what's going on there and makes people think about these, this standoff that has been largely forgotten. And it means that the federal government cannot strike at the Native Americans with impunity, that people are going to find out what happened. People are paying attention. I mean, I, I think another thing to, to keep in mind um, as you're thinking about this story is this is, again, 1973. There's no internet. Mm-hmm. So it's not like any individual or anyone, any cause, would be able to make, make a splash, make headlines on their own. There, your channels were the media. If you really wanted to get some, get a word out about something, you had to go through like the traditional media outlets. Mm-hmm. So Sashin Littlefeather getting on a nationally televised television program, there were probably, you would know how many millions of eyeballs on that. 85 million. 85 million yeah. was, uh, you know, uh, akin to a Kardashian tweeting. I mean, that's the kind of impact, <laughs> you know. It is such a massive platform, and I don't think there's anything comparable today because any of us could theoretically write a tweet that goes super viral. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, I, I think for the folks at Wounded Knee um, and Native Americans at large, to get that kind of exposure, they had to do something almost as brazen as what she did. Um, you know, yeah. it had to be something, again, that ambitious because otherwise they weren't going to, no one was going to hear about them. And when they did these demonstrations at Alcatraz and at Wounded Knee, they still didn't get the kind of attention that she got in that one moment. Mm-hmm. One other thing that people don't see, though, and that only comes out much later, is she says that John Wayne is off stage and has to be held back by four to six security guards to keep him from dragging her off. I always think of that moment with Natalie Wood in The Searchers and her just picturing that. And the reaction in the room is not good. People boo. Uh, they really turn on her. As you mentioned, Michael Caine feels that she's been hung out to dry. When Clint Eastwood goes up afterwards, he says that he's presenting Best Picture on behalf of all the cowboys shot in John Ford Westerns over the years. People are either making fun of her or outright being hostile to her. She is blacklisted from Hollywood for years after. And, John, and why, do you, why do you think John Wayne was so PO'd? Well, you get a good insight into John Wayne's views from the Playboy article that everyone got upset about. He really does believe in white supremacy. I mean, he says as much. And he doesn't think that the Native Americans had much of a great thing going before white people got here. And he really does think that white people are the ones who are responsible enough to, to do this. He, I'm sure he feels great about his career. He is kind of the guy who represents happy with itself Hollywood. And in fact, at the end of the ceremony, John Wayne is the one who goes up and says they're going to start a new thing, start a new, um, he's going to create a new precedent of have everyone come up on stage, quote, to take a much deserved bow. So all of the presenters and the winners come up on stage and take their much deserved bow. And he even tells them, I'm going to be watching to make sure you sing, because if you don't, pow. Hmm. And then all of them get together and they all sing you ought to be in pictures, which I think is a really ironic choice because this is kind of a movie about who should and should not be in pictures. And a lot of people, because of what she does, I think, end up being in pictures. I mean, we've got people like Russell Means. So if I'm making this movie, when they're up there singing you ought to be in pictures, we're going to see images from the ensuing years of all of the people who ended up in pictures, thanks to Sashin Little other speech. And that includes... Not only actors in Dance with the Wolves, actors in films like Last of the Mohicans, all the better representation that follows Native American actors and directors and writers getting work. Um, And I also think that you're going to see pictures from Wounded Knee 
and from the pipeline protest recently. And Standing and, Rock. And mm. Yes, yep. Standing Rock. All of the people who were not represented before in mass media the way that they sort of are now. Mm-hmm. It could still be a lot better, but it's better than it used to be. And then I think this is definitely a movie where you need to have a great, great bit of text at the end. You know, 85 million people saw Sasheen's speech. She was mostly blacklisted in Hollywood, but she became an educator and activist who helped inspire many more protests. The Oscar speech improved media coverage of Wounded Knee, so the government couldn't crack down in secret. Lastly, the Oscars made a new rule that no one could ever take the stage on anyone else's behalf. Oh, wow. Is that true? Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Our next segment is called Chatting About Casting. I thought I called it development. We're <laughs> just do more kidding. Than just... just kidding. <laughs> it's called in development. In development. So the way I see this thing going is like it happens pretty much over the two hour and 40 minutes of that Oscar ceremony from 1973, the 45th annual Academy Awards. But you obviously trim it down. And during all of the boring parts of the ceremony, you're cutting away from the stage uh, and showing flashbacks um, and showing what's going on in Wounded Knee. That's how I would frame it. As for... Boy, do you want to start? I mean, you have a lot of ideas for casting. Sure. Um, Marlon Brando is a tricky one. Uh, He was in his 40s, you said, right? Uh, He's about 50 at this point. About 50? I mean, one person who came to mind, I had a couple. They're they're a tiny bit younger, but I thought, you know, you can put some of that really nice aging makeup that they use in True Detective 3 um, (laughs) on them, and I'd be okay with it, is either Shia LaBeouf... Or Leonardo DiCaprio. Wow, Leonardo DiCaprio is a really good choice. I don't like the Shia LaBeouf choice, but I do like DiCaprio also because he rather seamlessly makes a speech for indigenous people when he wins his Oscar. Yeah. Um, that goes over, I think, a lot better than the one did in 1973. That's a really awesome choice. Thank you. I had another veteran of Chris Nolan movies, Tom Hardy. Uh, okay. I could see that. Yeah. I feel like they're like the same size in my he mind. He could definitely pull off the, the impersonation, I feel like. I feel like he'd be so good, and he also has a little bit of the weirdness and the mystery. Yeah, definitely. Um, he seems like a guy who would send somebody up to accept his Oscar. Definitely. Um, I have the best choice for John Wayne ever. Okay. This is so good. Liam Neeson. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. If he, he is... Still has a career, that well, is. that's why. Because he's the same age as John Wayne. They're both about 6'4". And Liam Neeson is probably going to want to sort of make some gestures to say like, hey, I'm aware of these issues and I'm trying to improve. And I think a good way to do it would be to play John Wayne in a movie that takes kind of an anti-John Wayne view. Was John Wayne that old during John Wayne 73? Like exactly 64 at that point. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, my choices might be a little young. Although, one choice I had, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, this could only be because I, love, I, I think he's a, a fabulous actor, and, um, and maybe he could pull it off. I kind of thought maybe Terry O'Quinn oh, yeah. could pull it off. That's Let's get really a little good. of that, like, a little bit of the man's man. It's um, a really good choice. Weathered look. That's a really good choice. He's charismatic. Yeah. Okay. I'm right there with you. Sasheen Littlefeather is obviously really difficult because there's just not that many Native American actresses or yeah. Native American and actors I mean, in general. I think even in our casting research, we discovered how much of an issue this still is. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's unfortunate that a lot of women who are of, you know, um, 
Asian or Indian or South American Hispanic descent are often cast in some of these Native American roles. Yeah, you definitely see cases where somebody is from Peru and they're cast as like a Canadian um, because Hollywood kind of goes like there's so few indigenous actors. Let's just uh, you can you can be a Comanche. Right. Um, You'll you know, you'll have to suffice. We just don't have enough. So the first one I came up with is Tasha Fuller. She's born in Hamilton, Ontario, grew up on Six Nations Reservation. Um, she's a North American native. Her mother is from the Cayuga Nation Wolf Clan, and her father is from the Mohawk Nation Turtle Clan. I got to her kind of in a strange way. The best movie of last year, which you forced me to see, and I'm glad you did, is The Rider, yep. um, directed by Chloe Zhao. Chloe Zhao is a Chinese woman who has made two movies set on Native American reservations. She has a lot of interest, obviously, in Native American life, and I think she does a really beautiful job of presenting it. And Tasha Fuller was in her first movie. Great. Yeah. She's also about the right age, which is about 26. Chloe Zhao was one of my choices for director for this. Me too. Um, I think she would crush it. Yeah, the two actresses I had were, one is actually she's of Quechuan descent, which is um, a Peruvian indigenous culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and her name is Corianca Kilcher. Mm-hmm. Um, I know her from Sons of Anarchy. Your favorite show. Uh, she was also in New World with um, Colin Farrell, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tania Beatty, who is also a Canadian actress, um, a, f- a First Nation Canadian actress, mm-hmm. who's been in Yellowstone. Um, she hasn't had a lot of you know w- uh, big roles yet, so um, this could be her breakout. Yeah, I think this is going to have to be someone who's not that well-known because the character is not that well-known. I mean, the person is someone who isn't really known to the world at this point in the story. Exactly. Yeah. Besides close out, any other ideas for a director? You know, I thought um, I thought Mary Heron, um, oh. just because she, I was thinking about a female director would lend itself well to really capturing um, the femininity and the strength of our main character. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she did a really interesting job of, I think, dimensionalizing Betty Page. Oh, yeah. So I thought maybe she could do a, a, a good job on this. So I, I had her. And then, yeah, and then Chloe Zhao were kind of the two that I was thinking of. Did the, you have anyone else? I have one other. It's Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond. And I'm waiting for you to say the guy who sings Sweet Caroline. No. Because um, it's not that guy. Well, I didn't, I didn't take the bait, Tim. Know, you didn't take the bait, and I'm really disappointed because I had a whole bunch of material about that. Um, but no, Neil Diamond is a Native American filmmaker who received a Peabody Award for directing the documentary Real Engine, R-E-E-L, uh, which is about portrayals of Native Americans on film. And Real Engine is one of the references that I use for this. There's interviews with Russell Means. There's interviews with Sheen Littlefeather. Um, that is a great resource, and I feel like he obviously knows this material really well. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what this gentleman's up to the, now uh, these days, but I know the the Native American film Smoke Signals that came out, oh, yeah. I think, in the 90s Yeah, um, was directed by Chris Ayer. Yeah. So I'd be curious what he would think, what he might do with this material. And probably the most obvious director to handle this in a non-biased fashion would be Clint Eastwood. Right, sure. I mean, maybe he would want to, like, kind of make good. Make amends. Oh, and I also think Chris Pine should play Clint Eastwood in the movie. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a good choice. Yeah, I feel okay about it. Yeah, I I wasn't thinking about um, Clint Eastwood. Part of the fun for me is um, casting all of the little roles. So you've got to cast like young Michael Jackson. You've got to cast Diana Ross. Wow. You've got to cast. I feel like Bruno Mars for Michael Jackson. I think he's too old at this point because Michael Jackson is like about 15. Oh, he's 15? Yeah. Wow. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be, there's so many opportunities for stunt casting. So I think you can like kind of use the stunt casting to pull people in to see this movie that they might not otherwise see. Uh, any idea what it should be called? A little feather. I like that. A small feather can start a wind going. And I think she did. I think she did too. The other name I had was in pictures. Okay. Because they sing you have in pictures. Okay. Okay. I could, I could buy that. The other um, title, The Searchers. I think that one's taken. Well, agree to disagree. Anything else? No, I mean, I, I think uh, as we've talked about this story, I do, it does make me realize like, hey, she made some progress, but there is still so much work to be done. I mean, the underrepresentation is really tragic. Yeah. You know, um, uh, the fact that we couldn't find and we're so limited by the the actors and the the uh, the directors and people in the film industry who could participate even in the who we could theoretically cast yeah um i think was really disheartening yeah the other thing that blew my mind is that when this happened people in hollywood thought she was doing something that was overly theatrical or fake like they questioned whether she was really native american they said that she'd rented her buckskin gown they just said all of these terrible things. Dennis Miller, even a couple of years ago, said that she was a stripper, which was not true. It's just such a weird critique coming from people who dress up as other people for a living or create fake stories to get mad at someone for being um, doing something very theatrical and very performative. Yeah, and I mean, I think that one thing, you know, again, you know, she was part of a, a stunt, so to speak. You know, like, we have to take everything she did with a, a sort of grain, grain of salt. Um but that being said, I think when you watch her, you there's this gentleness about her, this humility um, and authenticity. And by the way, she's still with us. Um, mm -hmm. She had a cancer scare recently, but I did email her to try to ask a couple of questions and haven't heard back. But, you know, we'll update if we hear. 